Hey there, bad girl, looking for something else. Hey there, bad boy, looking for something else. Come into the lounge, come into the wiki, come and stick around, come and tell it to me, Bobcast. Come in the Bobcast. Bobcast. Come in the Bobcast. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Bobcast. With you, as always, is Bob, live in the lounge, staring at the Ouija board. Super stoked tonight to have the music maven of 93.3 WMMR here, live in the lounge tonight, to chat in detail without commercial breaks about who she is, life, rock and roll, you know, leather, black leather, breakdown of rock and roll, and just like how we, I mean, like the, the one thing I just want to start off with, I really do like the rock breakdowns you do because I was a big fan of like Kurt Loder back in the day. And I was wondering, were you inspired by any of that MTV news series that ran in the like late 90s, spilled over into the thousands, it kind of got weird. But at one time they were like a really credible news station, I felt. Well, MTV existed before any of the social media that we are uh, accosted with 24 seven, 365 nowadays, right? Uh, so I think somewhere in there, yeah, that was probably in the back of my mind, but really the primary inspiration was I wanted to be able to take the things that I do on air, off air, and sort of be able to expand upon it in the social media realm, which is where Rock Breakdown came from. Uh, if you don't know what that is, you can find it on my Instagram, radio underscore Sarah, or you can find it on WMR.com. And it's just two minutes or less video of me uh, breaking down the you know three or four biggest stories in rock music. And uh, the cool thing about it is because it lives primarily online, I can talk about pretty much whatever I want underneath the rock umbrella, even if we don't necessarily play it on my radio station. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, my video editor and director, Nick Murphy, is just an absolute wizard with this stuff. So he does all of the editing. I come in with the stories and then we sort of collaborate uh, to for the nonsense that you now see on Instagram. So I'm so glad you like it. Thank you for watching it. I, I, and also to it, uh, you know, I guess like around like, what is it like 545, six, you also update us with like rock news. It reminds me of like, you know, at the end of like, you know, the hour, it'd be like doom, 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 MTV news. You know what I mean? Like with Kurt Loder and Tabitha Soren too, uh, who I, she's a photographer now. I was so inspired yeah. by her work, um, like covering rock and roll and stuff like that. I mean, there's so many crazy stories that relate to rock and roll and there's so many deep dives you can do on youtube at nighttime watching crazy antics and i'm sure you've seen a lot of shows i'm always curious here on the bobcast about when shit goes wrong what's the most <laughs> craziest thing you've ever seen at a live concert oh that that went wrong or you know what i mean like it, like ever. have you ever been to a show where like you know somebody messes up a song or like you know like oh man I don't know what the craziest would be. I'm sure there's several. Um, and to the average eye, you and I might spot things of uh, being so entrenched in live music, maybe not nowadays, but hopefully we'll be back at it yeah, soon. Right. We probably notice things that are going wrong or like when a singer is like singing, but looking around like something is off here, but they don't really want to let on. I know yeah. that one time uh, Jackson and I took some station winners to, um, it was a sound check with The Who at the Wells Fargo Center. And we got brought in and we're sitting there watching from afar the band sound checking. And they kind of got into an argument amongst themselves, which was a little awkward. And you didn't, you couldn't quite figure out what was going wrong because to you you're just like oh my gosh this is so cool so you're not paying attention to what's going wrong you're just like the freaking who is standing right in front of you uh -huh. but they kind of cut it short like i remember pete townsend turned around and was like okay that's enough and then they took us out and we were like well that was odd and then i uh at the mmrbq a couple of years ago we had joan jet playing and she's a total badass and she wants to do things right she wants to put on a great show for the audience that took the time and paid to come see her. Mm -hmm. So there was, um, I forget which song it was, but they started it and someone missed a cue and they're off and for like 10 seconds they play and then she goes like, no, no, we gotta stop. We gotta start this over. Sorry, everyone, we're gonna start this over. And I was just like, yeah, like I, it's rock and roll, man. It's not meant to be perfect. So that's, it was I, that's really what I love. I love to see moments. her like, this is what we're gonna do now. 
it's the best when that happens because it's like really it connects you back to them in a, a human form you know they're not just like you know these greek gods you know what i mean like they also can mess up i, I motley crew uh one time at um crew fest they all like started different songs on the queue the and, and like they just stopped and it was so weird you know like a big mistake too with light shows and it was just like the most human moment you know uh, what do you remember what year that was? Because I wonder, uh, judging by the timeline, just how many drugs each of them were on. <laughs> I, think had it, I think, no, this was a, this was like after I think the dirt like had been out as a book. Okay. And by the way, I think that the book, I mean, I wish they, I know that they didn't have a big budget to do the film, you know, but the book is so much better than the film, you know, like just so I would, I shouldn't say better, but it's like, it's got more parts to it, you know, like that are like true rock and roll, but. I actually have a copy in my office on the bookshelf and I haven't gotten around to reading it yet. But now that I've seen the movie, I really want to read that book. It's yeah, it, it really is an insane look, you know, into, and I think that's some of the best books are like that, you know, like Hammer of the Gods and stuff like that. I've always been fascinated with like rock and roll history and like how it relates. I, I was just curious, like when did like, you know, I guess what was the moment in your history where like you were sold on fucking rock and roll? You were just like, yep, this is this is for me. It's It's always been a part of my life, it has been omnipresent. So I don't know if there was an exact moment that something uh, switched. I can tell you that I'm a child of the 90s. So I grew up with my parents blasting like Nirvana and the Chili Peppers in the car and like Y100 oh back in the day. And of course, MMR, which has been around for uh, 53 years in this market now. Um, but a lot of that, so my very formative years was my parents' music, right? So there was a lot of that um peter gabriel as well youtube one of my favorite bands and i got that from my parents where i <laughs> i call my gateway band to the really like heavy stuff that i listen to now was actually lincoln park when i was like 11 or 12 because it mashed up the pop stuff that all my friends were listening to with this aggression and i couldn't really tell you why i identified with it but i really did and now i can sort of trace back like okay I also really identified with the aggression that was in the music of Nirvana and all those 90s grunge bands that were kind yeah. of Pearl Jam and all of that stuff and it just sort of took off from there yeah I, I was so bummed about Chester it sucked you know it's just there's like such a terrible time like in rock music like losing Chris Cornell like I, I'll never forget that. like I had just become like a dad you know what I mean and like all this bad shit started happening you know I remember like a crow like landed on a dead tree the day Chris Cornell died. And it's always like, I, I think about it every time I like, I take a walk with my dog. I'm like, yeah, man, that just sucked. And that's part of, uh, you know, I guess some people like, you know, call it the, the lifestyle and stuff like that. But other people, you know, they can be addicts in different fields. But I mean, yeah, rock and roll isn't for everybody. Um, you, you just mentioned uh, Peter Gabriel and Nirvana. And it leads to one of my, uh, <laughs> my uh, producers uh, planned one of these questions. So. We went through uh, your Instagram and basically you have a post Ooh, about cassette tapes. The like yeah, we, okay, the, yeah, the cassette tapes, right? So <laughs> I, I was a huge fan too of like, you know, mixtapes and like everything that was listed here. So several times on my show, I've asked musicians, you know, uh, you know, what would you want to be like, ha like, what would you want stuck in your car for, you know, a year or two that you just had to have in there because the cassette mm -hmm. was stuck or the CD was stuck. So this question now is so much more appropriate with the following cassette tapes that Sarah, under, or excuse me, radio underscore Sarah posted on her Instagram. Hanson, middle of nowhere. You oh. two live under a bloody red sky. Oh, excuse uh -huh. me, blood red sky. You two, Zeropa, Peter Gabriel. Self-titled, right? I think so, yeah. Nirvana, Unplugged. Oh. Yeah. And Clueless the soundtrack now <laughs> what's the tape that gets stuck in your car for like a year or two pretending like you know like spotify okay. instagram everything didn't take over our lives and make us into some sort of version of ourselves we don't recognize anymore the old days where there's tapes and cds which I, one are you going to go with i really like this question because i feel like it's not as heavy of a commitment as the desert island question which yeah is like, it is have to listen to one for the rest of your life <laughs> It's just for like, if you had to listen to the same one for a year or two, not the rest of your life, yeah. right? Yeah, just um, for like <laughs> a long, you know, extended period of time. Out of those, first of all, I, I got to shout out my husband, Jake, because I actually stole the clueless tape from him, but I just thought it was a, a, 
uh, fun novelty to throw into that stack. Sh- shout out but, to Jake because it's a fantastic yeah. film. And uh, right? I- I've covered it here before. It's so good. And it's good that they didn't make a sequel to it. I hope that they don't because some of those films that just stick away from, you know, Cher doing something else, you know, on New York City. You know what I mean? Like, we don't, we don't want to see that. The class. It's a moment now, in time. It's a moment Maybe in time. Say that way. It's a moment I'm in sorry time. for the tangent. I anxiously await your uh, answer to this. You don't question. have to apologize. You're a podcast host. The tangents are what you're supposed to do, right? I love tangents. Um, you know what I mean? Like I, I get know. excited. I think I probably one of the U2 tapes and probably, gosh, if it was in my car, I would probably do the one that wasn't live. Was it Zuropa? Whichever yeah, one was Zuropa. live. Zuropa or uh, Octoon Baby. I feel like this is a good driving soundtrack. No, it was Zuropa. So let me like take a look here at this uh, track listing. So like, what are you going to have for the like, for like two, three years? Just stuck in your head forever. It's such an interesting concept because I did have uh, a tape stuck in my car. I had I, I, several different... I hope it was a clueless soundtrack. No, it was something that like you didn't want. And, and the I shouldn't say I didn't want because I every I revisited it <laughs> recently and I'm like wow this is this this hold up chocolate um, starfish and hot dog flavored water was stuck in my oh car my while God. I attended community college for about like eight months I couldn't get this cassette out you know just stuck in there and then one day finally it just popped wide up you know and I was like wow there's other music to be had but- speaking of a moment in time I feel like yeah you go back and revisit that now it hits. Way different, Way different, but I could imagine being a little agitated at the time listening to that for eight months straight. Put your game hands up. Wow, <laughs> like I was leaving the park a lot. Like, you know, I mean, people being like, Man, what's wrong with Bob? You know what I mean? Like, why is, he, there, yeah. why is he always ready to throw down with his hands up? You know what I mean? Like, with the, the Limp Biscuit crew. Now, oh, yes, you know what? I didn't look at any of the track listings of the cassette tapes that were listed on your Instagram, but. Right off the bat, I want to talk about the song, which I love. And I, I couldn't believe it when it, it, the music video came out because it was so different. Lemon. Mm, it's such yes. a cool song, you know? Uh, the Edge on vocals for... No, was The Edge on... No, The Edge was on vocals for Numb. No. I think there's it's two, there's like I, two I can't play it. I can't play, <laughs> I can't play it in the podcast world. You can play it over there, but I can't play I can't. it. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that whole album was really interesting. So cool. That was an, if you think about U2's entire trajectory, yeah, that was a very experimental time. The only album I think that I don't really care for of U2's is the pop album. So I'm glad that that one wasn't in the stack. Okay, so I, I worked at the, uh, in the Plymouth Meeting Mall when that album came out and they had shit up for like months about it. You know what I mean? Like six, seven mm-hmm. months in advance. Like it's coming, it's coming. And That's I remember like when the like, video, yes, <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> yep. I, I was, I, I was sold, you know what I mean? Like my way in with you uh, 2 actually was um, Thrill Me, uh, Kill Me. Kill um, Me, Thrill Me, yeah. Yeah, off the, cause I was a huge Batman fan. I'm like, what is this song? And why does it sound that badass? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's a great one. It, it sounds so good, the guitar in that, you know what I mean? Like, and obviously the edge, you know, he's such a, a fantastic manipulator of sound. Uh, that documentary, I watched that documentary, uh, might get loud again during the pandemic. It's so funny how like they're, <laughs> they're on the stage at the end and like they're trying to jam and it's, you know, like they're like each vying for something. Yeah. My tangent went. My tangent went so far strong, left. I can't like remember personalities and sound. Yeah. Out of all those guys, the Edge, Jack White, and uh, Jimmy Page, would you like to have a chance to interview? Well, probably the Edge because U two is one of my absolute favorite bands, and I love how effects driven he is. I think he gets a little bit of crap for that because it's like, well, if you're a real guitarist, then you're going to be focused on, uh, you know, technique and music theory. But he. Uh, you know, he he built his own pedal boards when he was a kid. He's like, he's an architect of sound. And that has always interested me, especially as someone who does not play guitar. I'm just like, how do you do that? Um, mm-hmm. But I will say that also in recent years, I've gained an appreciation for Jack White. I heard that he was kind of sour 
back in the day and that turned me off to him for a while. But recently I've heard some interviews and I love what he's doing with Third Man Records. And he had a great conversation with Preston and Steve here at WMMR. Um, he's actually really funny. So what, what, when did that love happen? that guy do? When did he come on WMMR? Was this recent? It wasn't in person. It was on the phone. Mm -hmm. It was probably like a year and a half ago. It was when oh, the wow. newest, I'm not going to say new because it came out like two years ago, but the latest Tours album, which is fantastic if you have not heard the whole thing. I have. I, I really like it. I'm, I'm a huge Jack White. At one point, like we traveled, my wife and I, we went to uh, the Wilterland to see them with the, the Peacocks and the Buzzcocks. Oh, how was that? Where they had the, like the two different bands. They had like an all-female band. The, the, the drummer from... Uh, uh, what's the name of that band? Autolux. She's so awesome. And then Daru Jones, who I've interviewed twice here on the show. Um, Jack, um, he doesn't want to come to Philly. He, he, the last time they were in yeah. Philly was at the North Star and you could find it on YouTube. And there's some comments that maybe something happened. So Jack, if you're listening to this, you know, there's a lot of people who want to see you. Come here. Dude. Love you. Come back. I, I don't want to go to New York. I did see the White Stripes at Madison Square Garden, which was pretty cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. That had was, to be cool. It was really, it was neat to hear them, just two people in that room, you know, but um, it was so sold out too. Like, you know, when they just fill it like all the way around. Mm -hmm. Of all the concerts um, you've covered from MMR, I think I know which one it is, but I mean, which one meant the most to you? I've, I am hashtag blessed to have been to so many concerts and it is still very bizarre to me that I have not been to one in over a year because it used to be that it would be uh, sometimes three shows a week, at least three shows a month, if not three shows a week. And then we went to just nothing. Um, since we were talking about U2, one of the first ones that came to mind, uh, well, actually two different U2 tours. One was the Joshua Tree tour where they played that entire album front to back. And I went into it not really knowing what the full set list was going to be like. I knew they would play that entire album, but it was really cool how it was structured because they did stuff from the early albums and then sort of switched the stage setup and played the entire Joshua Tree album. And then they played the post Joshua Tree stuff. And it was just a really beautiful trajectory. And that was at the link. It was hot as hell that day. Oh, yeah, I remember that night. It was so good. Oh, it was so good. And I didn't then, go, but I remember how steamy it was, the humidity. Oh, so and then yeah. it's like the link turns into like a soup bowl. The link is the stadium here in Philly for those who don't live in the area. But yeah, it was it was soupy, but it was a lot of fun. But then the tour that immediately followed that, well, immediately, like a year later, they didn't play any tracks from the Joshua Tree at all in the set. And they usually fall back on at least one where the streets have no name. But it was that it was neat to see them challenge themselves to not rely on that in their live show. Yeah, they like to take risks. They could they could easily just, you know, do yeah. the 22 song set list with all the hits, but they they like to do different things, you know. Can I can I add another one to my list? Yeah, sure. Uh, and I wonder if this is the one that you were thinking of is when Jackson and I went to New York City to see Metallica at Webster Hall. Yeah, that had to be so awesome. You know, that, I mean like I think the capacity there is less than a thousand. Yeah. So to see Metallica without the big pyro and the screens. It was just these four guys doing what they do best. And it was just as good as if you saw them at a stadium like the link. So that was an incredible day. Yeah. That, that must've been so unique to see a band that big. Also too, like lately I've been on a Metallica just dive. I had this like weird pattern of like deep love affections for bands that last for like weeks at a time. And then they just, you know, sometimes they can extend. Like I visit the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, all these bands, like once, maybe every five years for a couple of weeks, fall in love with them. Now I'm into Metallica. And it was, I think it, it happened when I was listening to Rogan and he was interviewing Jim Brewer and he was talking about the Metallica army. Did you mm -hmm. watch that? Listen to that. He had this wonderful yeah. story about somebody who, um, who was a fan of Metallica, who was um, in a wheelchair. And um, the doctors just said like, look, it's not looking good. You know, you're, and like, you know, he had no will to live. And then, his wife just bought tickets to like all the Metallica shows and then just started taking them to Metallica. And gradually he started to like come out of like his condition, which I, I can't recall. Oh, but I, And I was like, oh, I was like, Metallica is so cool. And then from that, I went back and watched um, their documentary. It came out what nine, I forget what year that was. Uh, Some kind of monster. Yeah. Yeah. Where they're just, they're mad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're all angry at each other yeah. and the world. Lars, is, he, I, I wish that Lars like had like a, like a, 
a reality show. There's not many people I would like to like learn more about, but Lars, he definitely has a unique style of drumming too, which is Metallica's sound. If you ever just watch him solo on YouTube, it's it's wild. Yeah. But yeah, I yeah, miss so I not, miss shows I'm too. I'm not a drummer, but I know he uh that in the world of drums, uh what's the word? He's you know, he causes this distinct rift of like you either love him or you hate him there is no in between it's very divisive on Lars but I'm not a drummer but that's just what I perceive from the outside well as a music fan I think that you know what you like so I mean like who's your favorite drummer I mean so unfortunately he's not with the band anymore but I've always loved Chris Adler of Lamb of God and he's subbed in uh for Megadeth for a little while watching him drum is incredible and also uh, Mario Duplantier of Gojira. I guess I just love uh, prog metal drummers and groove metal drummers, but watching them in action where they just get into a zone with these blast beats and their eyes roll back into their head is, oh, <laughs> there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Yeah, there's there's something about that. Like I think especially with the drummer, the drummer can get into this like trance state. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. with the, the the rhythms. Yeah, I mean it's such a bummer with like you know everything with you know. I remember when the pandemic first started, you were like, co- you were co-hosting at home, right? At first, right? You weren't in the studio with Jackson? Yep. For about two months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were trying to keep as many people at home as possible. Uh, but there had to be a studio operator. So that would be Jackson since he's the host of the afternoon drive Monday through Friday. And uh, they sent me home with some equipment. It was a little uh, box. What did they call it? I forget the name of it, but it was like this box, a microphone. I had my own headphones and I had Jackson's face on a popsicle stick. And I was like, this is what's up. This is where we're at. And I'm going to broadcast from my couch. And it sounded weird. And my cats interrupted often, but it definitely helped me keep my sanity during that time. It it helped me keep a connection to not only my work, Mm -hmm. but the city at large. Uh, And we also did a bunch of Instagram live streams together, which Jackson was a little uh he doesn't like to be on camera so that was weird for him at first but then it just became our daily routine and like you know you check in every day and you have people chime in uh social media i have a love-hate relationship with it but at that time it was a beautiful thing i um chemistry is like so important and when you first came to philadelphia and you start working with jackson i had previously had a relationship with jackson he covered my band downtown harvest and gave you know the Mm -hmm. young man bob cahill in the year of like 2005 the privilege of being on the radio in philadelphia the first time you know it's such a crazy moment when you hear yourself on the radio in a car you know and when you joined up with him i thought that the coolest thing was the chemistry and also that that dynamic like the bread video really like sells the dynamic between you guys is like the comedic duo you know what i mean like he doesn't want to do technology classic it's it's so classic and it, like i watched it a few times because it was just <laughs> so funny you know it's got that like uh, comedic beat to it but yeah i think that that's you can't like if two people are you know exactly the same it's boring you have to have conflict yeah. to tell a story and i think the story right now you guys are telling is cool so I, yeah i personally i can't wait for music to come back i mean nobody knows like when i mean i just i stopped yeah. watching we, we got rid of cable television here about a month and a half ago one because it's way expensive and two for my listeners out there, I don't know if I told you, you got a whole bunch of free stuff if you just go out and buy like a twenty dollars box at Best Buy. Check it out. You got there's a channel that plays nothing but Fear Factor twenty four hours a day. My son found it, and he was and he is fascinated by it, which is such a weird thing. But um, I think that the news, uh, you know, they said that May first everybody gets a vaccine. So when do you think like rock music will return? I'm not sure if you heard is that, that them. Is that the- yeah. yeah, I think that, you know, I was <laughs> going to tell you earlier uh, at the beginning of this podcast, you, you let me know that um, they were yeah. ripping some ceilings out. You know, I was going to hit you up and just be like, look, that's that's fine with me. It would be funny if somebody fell through. Is somebody up, <laughs> up in the ceiling right now as we were recording? They're not in the ceiling, but I can hear them because the ceiling is still open. So they're in the next room and it's like someone might fall through the ceiling. I'm, I'm glad you're recording this for posterity because if I die, we'll all know exactly what happened. We will. Are, are you in the new studio? Because didn't you guys move? Like it's a new venue now, right? We've been balancing all around. We're back where we should be but they've been yeah replacing a lot of things ripping up a lot of things uh, sanitizing a lot of things as well 
it's a never a dull moment. And also I have some mice friends in here. So that's been pretty fun. Uh, oh, wow. I need to get them out because they like to chew the vinyl records. Um, but whoa, oh, whoa, whoa, they do, they do. Oh, yeah. They like, yeah. oh my God, that is they so strange. That tasty cardboard covering. So that's what they want. They want. <laughs> yeah. Man, that is so crazy. Yeah, that discovered. and peanut butter, I guess. I mean, but the record though, like you would never suspect that. Like I saw my dog eating a box today. I'm like, is that pleasurable? Like an Amazon box for real? Like what's going yeah. on there? They love the cardboard. It's so bizarre. Are you cat or dog person? Or are you both? AC, I got two, cats. two cats. Two cats. Okay. I had cats and my cats passed away recently. And the Aww. one cat we had for like 14 years, man, it was a bummer. It's like cats are like, you know, like people that give cats a bad rap, dude. My cat was like the friendliest cat in the world. You know, like we had, he had personality and he wanted to be loved. What kind yeah. of cats you got? What kind? Yeah. Uh, I don't know exactly. I know that they're brothers, or at least we assume they're brothers because they were found together in some alley in Philadelphia, but they look very different. One is large and orange and puffy, and the other is uh, sleek and gray and white, and I named them Ronnie and Lemmy after Ronnie James Dio and Lemmy Kilmister, and they are wonderful even when they chew on cardboard. What is it with animals and cardboard? I don't, I don't know. know. It, it's, Not it, for me. It's such a, like, it, it, it can't not be a good taste, you know? And like, what is it? You know, there's so many different things. I, we, we got a pandemic dog uh, as like we got a golden lab who now is about almost a year old. And I forgot how much work it is. It's like having a baby in the beginning with a puppy. Did Cats, you get, did you adopt the dog because of the pandemic or it just happened to come? <laughs> That's a great question. You can take over now if you want for the rest of the podcast. It's a really good question. <laughs> Well, so I know Might that adoption <laughs> surge because people were just stuck at home. Well, I mean, like, I guess, you know, but like there was a lot of dogs that my wife would like take herself in and be like, what about this dog? What about this dog? What about this dog? And I'd be like, uh, you know, but then there was like this one picture that just, you know, hit me in the old school way. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, like, yeah, we could have a relationship, you know, like with that dog. And then we got the dog. But I, I, good question, though. I mean, with the pandemic, there was a period there where. You didn't know if you were going to be able to go out again. You know what I mean? It's so crazy how things changed in one year, though. People are now getting vaccinated. But the fear was strife in the beginning. But yeah, nobody goes out and gets a pandemic cat, though, do they? <laughs> no, no. It's, you don't really have the foresight to be like, I think the world might end soon. I'm going to get a pet just in case. But yeah, if I, I got to tell you, I never expected it to last this long. I'm an optimist to a fault. So when we first locked down, I was like, two weeks, it's fine. And then two weeks passed. And I was like, a month, it'll be fine. And here we are, March, April now, 2021. Uh, and I am still, I can't help but be cautiously optimistic, uh, bringing it back to your original question, that we will have some form of live music soon. I have no idea what it's going to look like, but I do hope that it somehow resembles what it was before because that communal experience is as much an emotional one and mental one as much as it is a physical one being around mm -hmm. and in cl physical close proximity to the people on the stage and your comrades who also love this music so i know there's something special about that it hasn't changed like that vibe it, it, regardless people are holding up phones or if you go to a jack white concert he's got the yandor pouch where you put yep. your phone in there you're done and then you see people walking out because they got to like text or something you know comedians do it too as well but um yeah, I just, I miss it, you know what I mean? Like in, in general, and it's like, bef like before the pandemic happened in the years, like probably about like maybe five years before I felt like I didn't go to concerts for a while. And then just like all yeah. of a sudden, like my wife and I were like, yo, let's just start going again. And we went to a bunch of shows. We saw like Muse with their simulation theory thing, which blew my mind. Amazing. Were you at that show? Oh, yeah. Amazing. I, with the trumpet players in the beginning, like I'll never forget how much, like what you were just describing there, the, 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 the like effect that happens in the room where like, you know, your blood just like becomes one with everybody. It's just wild. Um, saw the Black Keys. Uh, I, I saw Queen with Adam Lambert. Oh, how <laughs> was that? Uh, I, I, I drank a lot of White Claws and it was pretty hot that day. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I <laughs> love it. It was like that, you know, it was, it was right. cool. It was cool to see. I was way up in the rafters because the seats were so expensive, but I, I just wanted to hear his guitar and his drumming. And, you know, I always loved Queen and like, you know, it was a great experience. And then I saw 21 Pilots three times in one year. 
And I remember thinking like my friends think I'm nuts, but you know, I, I like that album trench and mm-hmm. their shows are so loud. I've never been to a show. I mean, imagine like a Billy Eilish show or something like that. The decimals are just raging. Really? We, probably. I mean, like, like, you know, the fans screaming, but like, uh, 20, like I never forget. Like, 20, as in fans, not yeah, loud. So, so the fans. In, yeah. Okay. Like, the right. first time I saw 21 pilots, I was on the 200 level. And, you know, uh, AWOL Nation opened up and that was cool because I'd never seen a band open up and like destroy the stage like that. Like he was in a white suit, like out of his mind. Love AWOL Nation. Great. And then 21 Pilots came on and that sound I'll never forget. It was louder than any concert I've ever been to. Like teeny bopper, like like the rage of just everything. Just like, let's go, let's go. And uh, I just, I'm I'm glad that I did go. adrenaline. I know, yeah. It's wow. it's a wild thing, um, but yeah, the experience it's, it's definitely it has to come back in some form. If it doesn't, it'd just be a major bummer, you know. Even if it's got to have like the flaming lips bubbles. Did you see that video? I think you covered that in rock news. I heard it one day. I I did see that, and that's uh, the bubble thing. Like I love it and I hate it at the same time. I love it same. in that after a certain point, yes, I do want my space. Like I don't want the guy next to me to be rocking out and then spill half of his $30 beer on me. Like that's not fun. But at the same time, yeah, that's, that's kind of part of the experience. That's part of the fun is being a part of that community. Uh, So we'll see what it looks like when it comes back. They did just announce that Bonnaroo, which is in Tennessee is allegedly going to be held in person this fall. We'll see. No lineup yet. Uh, Yeah. The Foo Fighters are on it. Deftones, Larkin Poe, Incubus, and then those are like the rock artists. Also Lizzo, I think Tame Impala was on there as well. But yeah, they've got the full like three and a half day thing. Tickets on sale now. Uh, How about that? Yeah, I mean, hopefully it happens. Yeah. Foo Fighters was the longest concert I've ever been to. I think it was like almost four hours. They played for like the stamina. How do I get that? Does that come in shot form? I want it. I think it's, uh, here's his, here's what I think he does. It's parliament lights and gum. He's got this technique, which I used to do a lot on the podcast, but then I start hearing it. Like he always parks gum in the back of his throat. So he just always has a bunch of saliva to scream for four hours. If you notice, he's always chewing gum on stage. It's his secret. I guess that and like. I'm going to try I, that on the air. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I listen to, I listen to like, so many podcasts throughout the week and uh one of the podcasts i can't remember who's interviewing oh conan conan's podcast is hilarious conan needs a friend uh free advertisement conan hit me up Mm -hmm. um dave Grohl's favorite food after a show at one point was kentucky fried chicken and champagne and they thought it was the greatest combo ever to have after playing four hours until dave (laughs) went to his doctor and complained of chest pains but they're a fascinating band to have that stamina to play that long. Have yeah. you seen them live? I have. I saw the Broken Leg tour. I don't know which tour you saw, but I saw the Broken, the Broken Leg. Leg. I was there too. Uh, yeah, Dave was in his throne, still rocking out, thrashing, even though he had the broken leg. And then I saw them three 2018. Um, and that was cool. That was also a very long show. We actually had like a backstage hang. Uh, for WMR staff with the Foo Fighters, but it was such that we were just congregating in this area, having some barbecue. I don't, I can't remember why barbecue was involved, but it was part of MMR's 50th birthday celebration, right? Mm-hmm. So we get a few select invites back there, and then the band comes out one by one, and they're just mingling. So it's not like a meet and greet. And of course, when Dave comes out, like everyone just descends upon him. Everyone wants to talk to him, and I kind of I knew there were some much bigger Foo Fighters fans in that uh grouping than i was not to say that i'm not but there were some like super intense food fighters fans so i kind of stepped back and wanted them to have their moment but then we take this group picture together and uh i'm pretty tall so i stand in the back my dad was with me he's also pretty tall so we stand in the back we end up standing right next to pat smear and the picture snaps and then everyone just sort of starts talking to the people around them and my dad pat smear struck up a conversation and I have not been starstruck in a long time, but I was just like, you are pat effing smear. And they're just talking about like dad stuff, 
you know, it's fine. And I, I'm like, hi, I felt like a little kid, like hiding behind my dad again. Like, oh, you're a pap smear, I can't. <laughs> so um, that's my pap smear story. I was too shy to like really say a full sentence, but my dad had a great time chatting with him. Um, I, I also have a pap smear story. I love Pat too, as well. I, yeah. I worked at Starbucks in 2004 in Silver Lake on like right near like Glendale in Los Angeles, California. And I met up a whole bunch of celebrities and one day I look up and I'm like giving out green tea frappuccino samples. It's like the first time we've ever had matcha green tea frappuccinos and it's Pat Smear. And I'm a huge Nirvana fan. I mean, the germs. Okay. But like Nirvana, like I was like, Oh my God. Like, and he was so nice to me. So like, you know, took time. It was, and then I was like, wow, this is really good. You know, like I was like, yeah, I told you it's a good drink, man. And, oh, so he uh, liked the frappuccino. He did. He did. Now we know his Starbucks order. And then I met Butch Vig like two weeks later. It was like the best like time yeah. ever in my life. You were recently, you were out in uh, Los Angeles, right? Like you got a chance to check out Amoeba Records. I remember seeing a photograph. Vegas and LA, it was like back to back, same trip. That was the last thing I really did right before everything locked down. Like there was some whispers of coronavirus. No one really knew what it was at that point. Um Oh, so when was like, it? Was it like in January there you were out there, or like February? So okay, at wow. that point, it, it. I think while I was there, they were just starting to talk about cases popping up in the U.S., and I was like, "Whoop, glad I'm heading home now." But yeah, L.A. I got some friends out there. I uh, went to Amoeba Records, which I had been to a couple of the other locations, but that's like the big yeah, one. It's so was, cool in there. It's uh, amazing it's for the listeners. Yeah. I mean, look behind me. I've got all sorts of music and there's a vinyl wall over here just to be a, in its physical presence. Uh, and I'm sure you feel the same way. There's, there's nothing quite like it. Uh, so yeah. I spent a lot of money there. I also went to Grilla Mall, which is a burger joint where all the burgers are fashioned after metal bands. And I had the D Snyder. It's got like hot peppers and peanut butter on it. And I tweeted it at him and he tweeted back at me and I was like, Oh, we are friends now. That's awesome. Uh, else did I go I did all sorts of stuff that day obviously saw the Hollywood sign you got to take a picture with the Hollywood sign and the rainbow room of, of course right I mean like oh, isn't, yes! isn't that so How impressive I, I had yes. um a shrimp cocktail there it was the best shrimp cocktail I don't even order that but we got it and it was the best thing ever and I love the, that they kept the look I mean granted I haven't been back to Los Angeles in maybe like 10 years but rainbow room is special it probably looks very similar on the inside. The outside um, was recently refurnished a little bit to uh, build the Lemmy Lounge since he passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, a couple cool. years ago, it's like five years ago now, but they have the statue with him, which I took a picture with. Uh, there's definitely a rock and roll spirit about that room. I'm sure having all the pictures and memorabilia hanging up helps. Uh, I took quite a lot of photos. Um, and also I had the pizza and you're right. It's, it was just great pizza. Something yeah. about it. Yeah. Something about it. I, I love that. Did you happen to go out on like the deck, like uh, like the like the you know, there's the restaurant, but then there's like a little porch area. In mm -hmm. that porch area, in the kitchen, I'll never forget like you know the hustle and bustle. But the you know, there's a bunch of booths inside the restaurant, but they had set up in the kitchen a booth for the rock stars when they wanted to like talk business with their managers away from, you know I mean? Come in here. Let's go sit at the booth. You know what I mean? I thought that was so cool. <laughs> uh, and that, that night, uh, B-Real was outside smoking a blunt. And I was like, wow, this is just the craziest place. It was my first impression of it, but steeped in rock and roll and still, you know, does its thing. Uh, the Roxy, I don't know if you got a chance to check that out. I mean, really cool club, very similar to like a, a Philly club in a way, just mm -hmm. with the stage over here in the corner. Yeah. I hear the whiskey's cool too. Whiskey's cool. High stage. Reminded me of kind of like the Trocadero. Yeah. Yeah, in a way. But I mean, uh, Motley Crue, that book, The Dirt, it does a good job of capturing the spirit, not just of their band, but rock and roll on during the 80s, like during the Sunset Strip and like, you know, the hair metal days. I was influenced by that, too, as well. Is that so when did you live there? I lived at the band Downtown Harvest moved out there at like 2004 and we okay. played a bunch of places and recorded our first album. And then a few, I think maybe a year and a half later, we moved home. And that album is how Jackson got word of us because we were just nice. putting it out everywhere. But I loved it there. And then, you know, I'd gone back there a couple of times for um, screenplay writing later after like my music career, you know, had, you know, come to an end. I'm cool with saying that, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's all good. You know what I mean? I'm 41. I've, I've moved on, you know, and especially too, like, I can't imagine like what it's like 
to have made it or to be on the cusp of making it and this pandemic happens you know what i mean imagine you're a rock, you're a rock star and you're like I yeah like i have a car I, I can't pay for the car you know what i mean like it's, it's true a, it's a great comedy show like people who can't pay for things because their overhead was too high you know like but would it be too harsh to pontificate perhaps that this pandemic might cut the fat a little bit because maybe the people who weren't super motivated to make it through a year of being locked down, like they're going to exit the industry, but the people whose heart is really in it, they've been doing stuff throughout this pandemic. They are making plans to continue beyond the pandemic. So I'm hoping that uh, this will sort of help the cream of the crop rise to the top. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, like the people who really want to do it and not, like walking through it, you know, that's, that's not the worst thing you see a concert like that. And I'm, I'm in a good mood today, so I'm not going to throw any bands under the bus. You know what I mean? But Just text me later and tell me which ones you want to shit on. Should I shit on them? I mean, my listeners want me to shit on them. I'll shit on them. I, I mean, like, I had just such a terrible experience one time, the No Security Tour for the Rolling Stones, I think in 1999. Really? Yeah, I, I basically almost got my ass kicked. I was, like, you know, a teenager, and uh, during the song sympathy for the devil, which, you know, I was totally into, I, I think I hit my one hitter and this dude who was next to me was like straight up all American. Didn't want that shit happening, especially next to his girlfriend at the time. And like jumped up at show. I know, but like, he was so, so irate and he was like, you know, free of me. And like, you know, I'm trying to just smoke some weed, do listen to like sympathy for the devil. Like, what, what, what's your problem? You know? And it got so bad. Like, and this is like, maybe like, you know, like two thirds through the show. And uh, I just got up. I couldn't sit there no more. And uh, I did do like my thing though. And like made my way down to a, a more proper seat that wasn't go. occupied, but it was just a bad experience. And like also too, like people sitting down at concerts, like what's up with that? No, no. I remember seeing uh, Peter Gabriel and Sting together probably four years ago. And it was pretty neat because they played their own songs and then they covered each other's songs and then sometimes they collaborated. So I went into this thinking like, okay, one's going to play a set and then the next is going to play a set. Usually that's how a headliner goes, but it was totally a collaborative experience. I was losing my mind whenever Peter Gabriel hit the stage because I'm a huge fan and everyone around me was just sitting. Depressed, right? There's nothing worse than that. Was that your first experience of seeing something like that that meant so much to you? And what we were talking about before, that energy, like that communal thing of like, you know, tribal, like, you know, right. connection. It was just gone, evaporated from the room. I was so enraged. I was, everyone sits down. It's the Rolling Stones. And like it happened gradually. They all stood up at the beginning. Mick Jagger came out, shook his shit, you know, around the stage. And then all of a sudden... After I think like the first song, they they just all sat down. And the domino like, effect happens. I've had, I've seen it a couple times too, and it's just so weird. It's just a weird I guess, thing. I don't know, older crowd maybe. Well, also too, like I guess they think that they can't see, or I, I don't know. I don't no, know. If everyone stands, we're good. If everyone sits, it's lame. <laughs> Went to see Lady Gaga twice, and uh, her shows. Are literally just a spectacle it's amazing really to be honest with you and this one time doing a lady gaga show people were sitting behind us and they were like can you can you please sit down you know it's like what do you say it's lady gaga for god's sake of all the occasions to- yeah why aren't they up dancing i don't know because it was at the it was at the boardwalk hall and there was a bunch of comp tickets in the front that happens quite a bit like when the casinos were running their you know operations like oh here's front row seats but you don't really like the band and people just go do it and take it away from real fans it's like that makes sense but is still lame it is so lame. Just do your also, stretch kids get ready to stand for just a little while and if the show's good enough you'll want to stand up I know, right? So Peter Gabriel comes on stage. Everyone's just ghosting and just, you know, making your energy like evaporate. There's nothing worse than that. So what music well, when does- he played big time, you best believe I stood up. I did not care who around me was sitting down. I know. It it's great. a good feeling. It's a good feeling when you see something like that, too, that means so much to you. You know, it's it's like there's legends, too. You know, there's guys that keep doing it. Like Paul McCartney just put out another album and it's like. He doesn't have to do that. You know what I mean? He doesn't have to. He's, I think he's well off. You know what I mean? I think he produced it as well. He did. And that one, that song, that single, Find My Way, there is like some really interesting changes in that song that are just like advanced, really. It reminds me of like something like Beck would do in a way. And it's like bridges that aren't really bridges, just like 
drum breakdown kind of like things. Oh. I'm a big junkie to music, you know what I mean? When it comes out, I do have Spotify now. I feel a certain way about that, but you know, it is very much, it's convenient. I can't take all these CDs with me no more. Like I used to, you know, wait, what, what, tell me your feelings, please. I want to know. No judgment here. I just want to know. No, what, I mean, it, it can, in all candid thoughts, I, I just didn't, I don't respect digital music just because I, I'd seen the, the benefits of it. And then quickly I saw the decline of it. Like in other words, my band downtown harvest came out, you know, 2004, you know, recorded an album. And then we did a second album and that album was one of the first albums to get onto Pandora. And we had one song that got played heavily on there and we were getting nice checks, enough, che- enough money to go down and like, you know, have a weekend at Lang city, you know what I mean? And like, pretend we're you know like living like the high life it was a good time and then all of a sudden well excuse me not all of a sudden maybe slowly it started to decrease for the artist Mm -hmm. to where it basically was just a ridicule a joke you know and it's like there's no way to calculate it really they can calculate you know streaming traffic but you don't see as a fan I mean you can see the top songs on there and how many times it's been played but like you don't know like the algorithms and stuff like that and I just think it's very complicated that music in general has now become something I've talked about it so much, so much on my show before, Sarah, I really think that in, in hindsight, we really screwed things up in the nineties with Napster. It's, it's, it's which very much uh, modified, which. Yeah. It, you're, when you say it's complicated, that's exactly what it is. Because on one hand, if you have, a marketing team behind you and a marketing plan and all of these tools and people who are helping you. And, uh, you know, it can help get the word out and it can inspire a lot of people and it can generate money for not only the artist, but that team. But then when it gets so big that it becomes a machine and so big that everyone is taking a piece of that pie and there is but a crumb left for the artist who made the damn music in the first place, that's when it becomes really unfortunate. I use Spotify Um, Yes, I'm on the radio, so I guess I shouldn't be saying that I use Spotify, but it's ubiquitous now, so I'm just going to say it. I use Spotify as like a discovery tool. So when I find a band that I like via Spotify, I make sure that I support them via other means, whether it's buying the tickets to the show Mm -hmm. or buying a physical copy of the music or buying, you know, a a T-shirt even. Um, But it has helped me discover a lot of bands that I would not have supported financially otherwise because I simply wouldn't know that they exist. It is really cool when that happens too. Like when you like, you know, let the shuffle happen and you're like, wait a minute, who's this? You know, it's <laughs> exciting when that happens. It reminds me of the radio back in the nineties when I used to record cassette tapes off of it, you know, like <laughs> trying to catch the top of the song, you know, and never oh, getting yeah. it, never getting it. No, you always All cut my, off the first five seconds. I, I thought I would be really good at commercial breaks, but you know, I, maybe once or twice, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think that the, the future of music really is going to reside on the internet. And I believe that like, most bands really should look towards Bitcoin and NFTs. Like, you know, like if your music is is selling, why not you know what I mean? Like there's no way to sell it. They can like track that money yourself. Why not just then sell it yourself? But Mm -hmm. it's just a question of how do you get your music out there too? And like social media, like you could be like a really awesome band and have 3000 people following you because you don't have the money or the budget to reach that audience that's out there. And that's like how music is now consumed. And that bothers me, to be honest, because it's like, that's not the original intention. The original intention is what you do still, Sarah, listening to music on the radio, you know, like hearing it, appreciating it and like respecting it like art. And like, that's sadly, in, in my opinion, becoming like a dying trend, which just, in my opinion, sucks too. You know, it's like, yeah. people don't respect media no more. It's like, ah, I got it. You know, I'll download it. Yeah. Again, commodified, which is unfortunate. And that is one of the beauties of radio, especially live and local radio um, and terrestrial radio. Although uh, maybe I shouldn't use the word terrestrial because you can still listen to WMR via digital means like our website stream and uh, your smart speaker. We've got like a special skill that people can uh, say, Alexa, open MMR. And there it is. But um, when you play the music over the airwaves and it is laid bare and you're listening blind. Like you, you hear a new song by a new band and you've never seen them before. You've never seen what their Instagram looks like. You don't know what their logo looks like. You're just hearing that song in its purest form. That really is what the first impression should always be. And now in the digital age, you'll probably never go back to that, but you know that beautiful moment where it clicks and it's just like, what is this? And you have no 
predetermined notion. Uh, you, you can't see like, oh, this band is wearing makeup, so I don't like them and I'm not gonna listen to them. But maybe you're missing out on a really great sound just because you wrote them off because of how they look or vice versa. Like these guys look, uh, I don't know, dirty and grungy and like they're trying to be vintage Pearl Jam. And it's like, no one's ever gonna be Pearl Jam. I'm not gonna listen to this band. It's judging a, a book by its cover or an album by its cover. And with yeah. radio, you hear it, you absorb it. And that's, as you said, a beautiful moment. Yeah, like, I mean, like a band like R.E.M., for instance, like I just don't, like in the 90s, <laughs> R.E.M., Nirvana, like they wouldn't use social media if it existed. You know what I mean? Like they would resent it because it's, because it meant something to the artist. And it sucks too that the artists, I feel, have to surrender to it in a way. And it's like, it is what it is. And like, you just, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And like people just try to make money off the artists, like you were saying, like, you know, like bookers, managers, like all these different things that, people do because it, it, they want to be attached towards that feeling that we were talking about earlier and sadly there's just some people who are not in the game for the right reasons they don't want to help artists they want to help themselves i guess and it's like i just hope music gets more respect too you know like even for like the the local bands you know like you guys do local shots you support bands you just supported brett talley who's been on my show more times than i've seen him in real life which is insane uh, digitally show. He's a wonderful man. Yeah. And his guitar playing too reminds me of the edge. Uh, it's a compliment. I'll give him here live uh, on the air. Like, you know, he, he takes his time with that sound. Can you believe I, that Jackson has been featuring an artist of the month? We just, we just realized this the other day for 10 years, the local shots program overall has been going on as long as he's been on MMR, which is 15 years, maybe a little more. Um, but he has featured a, an artist every single month in primetime radio for 10 years now and to have a feature based around local music which not a lot of radio stations or companies in general prioritize to have it running for 10 straight years that just blew my mind and we're working on some stuff to celebrate that milestone so stay yeah, tuned it was so cool i mean like not only did you get played on the radio back in the day though but then you got to play the local shots live show <laughs> which would happen on wednesday nights and like wednesday nights were packed you know what i mean like there was this total community of people in philadelphia and you know Jackson was the one who um, pioneered that, you know, and it's great to, to help people. So I always applaud you guys on that. Um, listen, I, I don't want to take any more of your time because people, you know, didn't fall through the ceiling and stuff like that. And it's getting late, you Yet. know, <laughs> but I appreciate your time and I appreciate what you do, keeping uh, music alive on the radio. Uh, well, thank you so much for having me. It was great to see your face, hear your voice. I hope that we can get together safely in person soon, uh, perhaps at one of these concerts that we've been <laughs> reminiscing about. Uh, and uh, good for you for still continuing this podcast during these trying times. I appreciate it very much. My name is Bob, and this has been another episode of Bobcast.